We'll begin reading there here in just a few moments at verse 1. We'll read the first 11 verses as we see the account of the temptation of Jesus. But before we read that passage, I want to suggest to you that it is always beneficial and it's always helpful when you're about to embark upon something that you are uncertain about. To have someone, for instance, how to play an instrument. If you want to learn, had no clue how to play the piano. It would be very helpful and very beneficial to have someone there with you who was experienced, who knew how to play the piano, and they could help you and aid you in that. If you wanted to know how to read music, rather than just opening up a, a sheet of music and trying to figure it out on your own, it would be very helpful and very beneficial to have someone there with you who actually knew how to read music, someone who is experienced in doing that. If you wanted to know how to wire a light switch, rather than just guessing which wire goes where, you might end up burning your house down, it would be very helpful and very beneficial to have someone there who knew what they were doing, someone who was experienced in that. Or if you wanted to know how to change the oil in your car, rather than just raising the hood and pouring the oil in the first port that you see, it's very helpful and very beneficial to have someone who knows what they're doing and someone who's very experienced. And I use that as a, as a means to introduce us into the thought of in the Christian life when it comes to dealing with sin in our lives, when it comes to dealing with temptations that we face from a day-to-day -day basis, it's very helpful to have someone who knows about it, someone who's experienced, someone who has been there. And that's exactly what we have in Jesus. We have the ultimate helper, the ultimate teacher, when it comes to being tempted. The very fact that Jesus was tempted and overcame makes him our perfect high priest. The Hebrew writer talks about this in Hebrews 2 and verses 17 and 18. He says, therefore in all things he had to be made like his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people for in that he himself has suffered being tempted he is able to aid those who are tempted. Also, a little later in the book of Hebrews, the Hebrew writer says in chapter 4 and verse 15, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we yet without sin. Porter says that experience makes sympathy possible. How can, and you may ask the question, how could Jesus possibly sympathize and understand what I go through on a day-to-day -day basis when we're constantly uh, tempted to uh, be dragged? be people at school or people at our workplace, how could Jesus possibly sympathize with us and aid us and help us? Well, experience makes sympathy possible. The very fact that Jesus has experienced temptation makes him our ultimate helper and our ultimate teacher and our ultimate high priest. So I've had you open here to Matthew chapter 4. In the first 11 verses, we find this occasion. I want to take the time now, to read those 11 verses. It says, beginning at verse 1, Then Jesus was led up by the to be tempted by the devil. When he had fasted 40 days and nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when, the kemp, now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones be bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. 
Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. This was probably not the only instance in which Jesus was tempted, but this is uh, the most common one that we think of when we think about the temptation of Jesus. Kyle Pope said about this particular uh, section of, of verses, he says, The Hebrew writer offers to Christians great comfort in knowing that our Redeemer is not one who is incapable of understanding our struggle with sin. In the account of Jesus' temptation, we are shown, shown one who suffered what we suffer, yet overcame victoriously. Again, going back to we have the ultimate helper. We have the ultimate person who is experienced in temptation that can help us through our temptations. Here's another quote from William Barclay about these, uh, this section of verses. It says, now here is a great and uplifting truth. What we call temptation is not meant to make us sin. It is meant to enable us to conquer sin. It is not meant to make us bad. It is meant to make us good. It is not meant to weaken us. It is meant to make us emerge stronger and finer and purer from the ordeal. Temptation is not the penalty of being a man. Temptation is the glory of being a man. It is the test which comes to a man whom God wishes to use. So then we must think of this whole incident and experience not so much as the tempting, but as the testing of Jesus. And that's something that's difficult at times for us to wrap our minds around the fact that temptation may be for our good. It may be that God is actually using us for a specific purpose. James talks about that in James 2, verses 2 and 3, when he says, Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. We may not realize it at the time, but once we come through our temptation, it may indeed make us stronger. So I want us to look at some lessons that we'll learn from this temptation of Jesus. Things I want us to look at in our lesson. First, quickly, we're going to look at the setting in which we find this temptation. And then we'll notice the three temptations and the three avenues that those temptations fall into. The lust of the flesh in the first temptation, uh, the pride of the life in the second temptation, and the lust of the eyes in the third temptation. And then finally, we'll look at some lessons learned. So first of all, the setting. The setting in which we find this temptation of Jesus, if you're still open to Matthew chapter 4, if you back up just into chapter 3, Jesus has just been baptized. He came to John at the Jordan River, and he was baptized, and then it was after that baptism that he was led into the wilderness. So we find in chapter 4 and verse 1 that Jesus was in the wilderness. This probably is referencing the wilderness of Judah, seeing how they were at the, uh, at the Jordan River. Uh, so he probably went out into the, to the wilderness of Judah. In Mark's account, he says that this was immediately after his baptism. So there's no gap of time between Jesus being baptized and him being tempted. Immediately, Jesus tells us that Jesus was drove out into the wilderness so that Satan might tempt him. Also in Mark's account, in chapter 1 and verse 13, we learn that as Jesus was in the, in the wilderness, he was with wild beasts. That suggests that he was alone. Uh, he was in a desolate place. He wasn't out with a group of people uh, wandering in the wilderness. He was alone. He was with the wild beast and obviously Satan. We also learn in chapter 4 and verse 2 that Jesus had fasted for a period of 40 days and 40 nights. We are not told specifically why Jesus was fasting, uh, many have speculated as to, to why he went out to fast for those 40 days and 40 nights. But fasting was common when preparing for a significant life event. 
We know this from a couple of Old Testament characters. Moses in Exodus chapter 34, he fasted for a period of 40 days. He went out into the wilderness and fasted for 40 days when he was preparing to deliver the law to the people. In Exodus 34 and verse 28. We also see Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19. He also went out and, and fasted for a period of 40 days before he was, as he was preparing to flee from Jezebel. So we see examples in the Old Testament those who are about to engage in significant life events. And they go out, uh, and this has happened to be that all these men fasted for a period of 40 days. Jesus was about to embark upon a serious and significant life event. He was about to prepare, or he was about to begin his ministry. In fact, as soon as this temptation is over in verses 12 and 13 of Matthew 4, he begins his Galilean ministry. Uh, so perhaps that's why Jesus went out into the wilderness to, to fast for these 40 days and 40 nights, to prepare himself as he was about to embark upon his public and personal ministry. And so it is in this setting that Satan finds the opportune time to test Jesus. And I learned a very important lesson from that is that Satan can make temptation fit the present circumstances in your life. We know that, uh, as we already read there, the first temptation that was given to Jesus was turn these stones to bread. The present situation that, that Jesus was in was he was obviously hungry. He had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and the passage tells us that he was hungry. And so I learned that Jesus can fit w whatever it is going on in your lives, and, and things change in your life. What significant uh, to you now was not significant to you five or ten years ago. And whatever stage you are in your life, God, or Satan can fit that temptation into the present situation that you're in. Uh, that's certainly what he did here uh, with Jesus. So after seeing the setting there, let's move on and look at the three temptations. First of all, we have the first temptation, and this has to do with the lust of the flesh. In verse 3 here of Matthew chapter 4, it says, Now the tempter came to him, and he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. This is the first temptation that, that was offered unto Jesus. Satan here was appealing to the lust of the flesh. Uh, we know that, that sin appears in, in three different avenues, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We learned that from 1 John 2, uh, 16. Here he is appealing to the lust of the flesh. Jesus obviously was hungry. Uh, he had fasted for 40 days. I learned from that that all temptation uh, is from some sort of lust or from some sort of desire. If you don't have a desire to do something, uh, for instance, you'd be very hard-pressed to tempt me with broccoli uh, because I don't have a desire to eat it. I don't have a desire to want broccoli. But if you're holding a cupcake in front of me, I'm going to be tempted a whole lot more. And so you, if there is no desire, if it's not something that you want, then there is no temptation. All temptation that we experience in our lives, it comes from some sort of desire or some sort of want or some lust. James chapter 1 and verse 14 says that each one is... In, is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And so I learned from that that the greater the desire, the greater the temptation. Jesus was obviously hungry. And so this was a very great temptation to turn these stones into bread. And it was very common in that region to have loaf-shaped rocks, such as you see in this picture on the screen before you. It's hard to tell which one's the bread and which one's the rock. That was the type of rock that they would have had in that region. And just the very sight of seeing a rock that looked like a loaf of bread would have been a temptation, much less when Satan came to him and said, hey, you can turn these stones into bread. And uh, that would have been even more of a temptation uh, to Jesus to turn those stones into bread. 
I want us to point out that producing bread was not simple within itself. You may question, as many do when they read this passage, why was that a temptation? Uh, what sin is it turning, turning rocks or turning stones into bread? Why was that a temptation? Because it's not a sin within itself. Uh, in fact, I have listed here on the screen Matthew chapter 15 in verses 32 and 33. That's where Jesus ha had fed 5,000. He wasn't turning stones into bread, but he was turning bread into more bread. So the, the fact that, that Jesus could miraculously produce bread was not a sin within itself. Uh, so that's something that, that we need to understand and we need to realize. What Satan was tempting Jesus was was tempting Jesus with was he was tempting him to distrust the Father and his care for him. Remember, he had gone out for the purpose of fasting, for the purpose of preparing, perhaps preparing himself for his uh, public ministry. And Satan was tempting him to say that you don't need to rely on the Father, you need to rely on yourself, rely on your own divine power. Jesus certainly had the power to turn the stones into bread if he had wanted to, and that's exactly what Satan wanted him to do. Satan was tempting Jesus with self-satisfaction apart from God, telling him that you don't need God. You have the power yourself. You have divine power. You don't need God, and you can provide and you can satisfy your hunger yourself. We also learn that divine power is to be used, and this is, this is true all throughout the New Testament. Divine power is always used in God's time, and it was always used for God's purpose. It was not used because, oh, well, uh, walking around and he happened to be hungry so he performed a miracle. His divine miracles were for a purpose. They were for God's purpose and, and is in God's time and not in man's time. So no, it was not sinful within itself to turn the, the stones into bread, but under the present situation it would have been sinful for, for Jesus to have done so. I want us to notice Jesus' response to this. He quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 8. I want us to turn over to Deuteronomy 8 uh, and read that passage that he is quoting. This is his answer and his response to Satan when he says, if you are the Son of God, turn these stones to bread. Deuteronomy chapter 8 in verse 3, this is uh, as Moses is talking about the, the Israelites, the children of Israel as, as they were out uh, wandering in the wilderness. It says, so he humbled you allowed you to hunger, and he fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor your fathers know, that he, might make, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This is in the context of the Israelites and their need to put complete dependence upon God. God allowed his people, as we saw there in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3, he allowed his people to hunger as they wandered through the wilderness. And it was for a specific purpose that he allowed them to hunger. And by allowing them to hunger, they learned dependence and trust in him, that he was the one who provided for them. He provided the manna for them. He didn't let them starve to death in the wilderness. He, he did provide for them. And there was a reason why he allowed them to be hungry in the wilderness. It taught them dependence and trust in God. I learned from this that obedience takes priority over physical needs. There's almost nothing more important to us than physical needs. Uh, if we go five or six hours without eating, we think we're starving to death. And uh, we're going to satisfy that hunger as, as quickly as we possibly can. But here I learned that obedience to God takes priority over those things which we think are most important to us. And certainly our physical needs would fit into that. So Jesus was tempted here with the lust of the flesh. Secondly, 
Well, notice the next temptation beginning at verse 5. Satan tries to shift gears. Well, he wasn't successful in, in, in uh, tempting him with the lust of the flesh, so he's going to try the pride of life here beginning at verse 5. He says in verse 5, Then the devil took him up on the, to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And verse 6, he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. So that's the second temptation. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. Satan is essentially saying that if you truly trust God, if you truly trust your Father, uh, then prove it. Then prove to me that you trust your Father. You can throw yourself off from the, the pinnacle of the uh, and God will save you. If you truly trust Him, you'll do this. Satan took him up, it says he took him up to the pinnacle of the temple. That would, uh, would have reference to the outer wall that would go around the temple. Uh, something, uh, one of the, the highest points of the temple. Wanted him to uh, throw himself off of that. Satan is insinuating that if Jesus refused to do this, that he truly did not trust his Father. And he knew probably that, that Jesus was not really going to jump off the pinnacle of the temple and throw himself and he was hoping to prove that, see, he won't even throw himself off the temple, that he truly doesn't trust God. And this would have been a great temptation for Jesus because all of us, if we are challenged about our faith, we want to defend ourselves. Uh, if we're challenged, well, you claim you trust in, in Jesus or you claim you trust in God, then prove it to me. All of us will, uh, would uh, no doubt want to prove that. So it may have been a very... Great temptation for Jesus to throw himself from the pinnacle of the temple. But he did not give in. I want us to notice that Satan here, he also tries a different avenue in, in the sense that he's, he himself quotes Scripture. Uh, we see that the devil himself recognizes uh, divine Scripture. He quotes from Psalm chapter 91 and verse 6. You shall give, uh, in verse 6 here, that he shall give his angels charge over you and into their hands they will... They will bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. What the devil is essentially saying is, he's quoting from this Old Testament passage saying that, look, here's a passage that says you can do whatever. You can cast yourself from the pinnacle of the temple and God will save you. The angels will save you. Uh, they will uh, protect you. I want us to turn back and look at Psalm 91 because there's some key words that the devil leaves out. The devil, again, obviously recognized Scripture but he leaves out some very key words as he is quoting this scripture. 91 verses 11 and 12, it says, For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all of your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Notice those last few words in, in verse 11. To keep you in all your ways. Satan conveniently leaves those words out as he is quoting this scripture here. When these Hendrickson says that when these words are included, God promises to protect the righteous man in all of his righteous ways. And conveniently, Satan left that out. The one time Satan tries to use Scripture, he misapplies and he, he uh, makes the wrong application of Scripture. So he leaves out the words, in all your ways, that God will protect the righteous man in all of his righteous ways. Leaving out those four words changes the complete meaning of the passage. He was hoping... Uh, that, that Jesus would just go along with him and say, well, he, he quoted Scripture, so God will protect me, and hoping that he would cast himself down. But of course, Jesus realized that. I want to notice this quotation from Mounts. He says that God has promised his providential care 
for life as we live it out daily in a normal fashion. He has not promised supernatural intervention when we decide to jeopardize life in order to prompt him to action. That is, if we want to go out and live our, our lives dangerously and live recklessly, God has not promised to protect us. Uh, if we choose to go up on the pinnacle of the temple and cast ourselves off just as was trying to tempt Jesus to do, God has not promised to protect us. And we learn a, a very great practical lesson from that that we will come back to at the, at the end of our, our study. Well, notice Jesus' response after Satan has tempted him and he has misquoted Scripture. This was Jesus' response. He again quotes from the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, and he says that you shall not tempt or you shall not test the Lord your God. This is from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 16, uh, which is referencing Exodus chapter 17, when Israel had tempted uh, our God at the waters of Meribah. Uh, they said that God brought us out in, into the wilderness. We have no water to drink. That They're basically blaming Moses and essentially blaming God that you have just brought us out here to thirst to death. There's no water for us to even drink. So that's uh, what Jesus is referencing when he says that you shall not tempt the Lord your God. The Israelites there in Exodus 17, instead of calling on the Lord, they provoked and they challenged God. In Exodus 17 and verse 7, they said, Is the Lord among us or not? That Moses, have you brought us out, in, out here to the wilderness to literally thirst to death? Uh, is the Lord really with us? And because of their attitude of not calling on the name of the Lord and not God, uh, they decided to provoke him. And they provoked him to wrath. And so we must remember that when we sin... We are testing God. We are putting God's patience to the test. We are putting God's uh, mercy to the test each and every time that we commit sin in our lives, just like the Israelites when they tested God at the waters of Meribah. So what was Jesus' point in his response? His point is that God does not promise protection in rebellion. If you choose to live a rebellious life spiritually, God does not promise protection to us. I again quote from Barclay here. He says, there is, no good, there is no good seeing how far you can go with God. There is no good in putting yourself deliberately into a threatening situation and doing it quite recklessly and quite needlessly and then expecting God to rescue you from it. There's no need in putting yourself in a spiritually reckless situation and thinking that God will save you. It would make just as much sense as jumping off the pinnacle of the temple and thinking that God will be there to save you. Thirdly, again, Jesus appeals, or Satan appeals to Jesus from the lust of the eyes, and he failed. He appeals to him from, from the pride of life, and he fails. Now, or I'm sorry, lust of the flesh, and he failed, pride of life, and he fails. Now, he appeals to him from the lust of the eyes, beginning at verse 8, chapter 4. <clears throat> He says in verse nine that, or, he or verse eight rather, he takes him up to an exceedingly high mountain. He shows him all the kingdoms of the world, and Satan tells Jesus in verse nine, "This is the third temptation that all these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me." It says there that he took him up on an exceedingly high mountain. There was, there's been speculation as to well, what mountain did he take him up on? Probably not that important, uh, after all but he took him up on an exceedingly high mountain. Seeing all the kingdoms of the world 
would have most likely been a miraculous or a visionary, visionary event. Perhaps it was not that they physically uh, were there seeing all the kingdoms of the world because there would have been no physical location that would have provided that type of view where you could see all the kingdoms of the world. So perhaps this is some sort of uh, miraculous or, or visionary event that uh, Satan and, and Jesus are viewing here. What Satan is implying to him when he says, all these things I will give to you if you will just simply fall down and worship me. What is he, he is implying is that if you become like me, if you become like Satan, that there is great reward in doing so. This is a temptation of compromise. Uh, we're oftentimes tempted to uh, compromise with those of the world that uh, you give a little and I'll give a little. And what Satan is saying is, you fall down and worship me, you compromise a little with me, and I'll share this with you. I'll share the, all the kingdoms of the world with you. This would have greatly tempted Jesus in that Satan was offering him a way to become king without having to endure death. Jesus realized that he was going to become a spiritual king. Uh, he realized that after his ministry was over that it was his purpose to die on the cross and become a spiritual king. What Satan was doing was offering him the opportunity to become king without having to endure the death on the cross. He was basically offering him an easy way out, and that would have certainly been a temptation for Jesus. B.W. Johnson says that Jesus came to be a king, but the pathway to the crown is weary, painful, beset with thorns and blood. Satan proposes an easier way. And that had to be a great temptation to Jesus, that I can become a king without having to endure all the physical beatings and, uh, and all the, the scourgings and, and hanging on the cross and the crown of thorns. Satan was offering him an easy way to become king. I want us to, to pause for a moment and, and raise the question, did Satan have the authority to offer this? Satan said, all, the, all that you see, all the kingdoms of the world I will give to you. Well, did Satan really have the, the ability and the authority to even offer that in the first place? In Luke's account of this temptation, in Luke chapter 4 and verse 6, uh, Luke adds that, that Satan says, for all of this has been delivered to me and I will give it to whomever I wish. Uh, that Satan says, basically everything you see, all the kingdoms of the world, I own. Uh, and I, I have the authority to, to give it to whomever I wish. We know that Satan does have some sense of authority. Uh, Paul calls him the prince of power of the air in Ephesians chapter 2 and in verse 2. Uh, whether we want to admit it or not, Satan is powerful. Uh, that's how he's able to tempt us, how he was able to, uh, to tempt Jesus. So Satan does have a sense of authority and a sense of power. In the ultimate sense, Satan is not in a position to bargain with God over his creation, yet in some sense he does have some delegated powers. Uh, and I have here on the screen John chapter 19 and verse 11, that God is, has the ability to give power to whomever he wishes. Jesus was to Pilate, and he basically tells him that you would not have any power if it were not given to you uh, by Jesus, or if it were not given to you by, by God the Father. Uh, so whatever power Satan has is obviously a delegated power, whatever, God, whatever power God allows him to have. I think perhaps Pope summarizes this the best. He says, Satan's authority is a perceived authority, realized in measure to which man submits himself to the, to the desires of Satan. So does Satan have authority? Certainly he does. In what ways does he have authority? Well, when we, we choose to submit our desires to him, when we choose to, to give in to the lust of the flesh, pride of life and the lust of the eyes, we are giving, essentially saying that, that uh, Satan has power over us. We're handing authority over to him. So it is in that sense. It perhaps is more 
properly worded as being a perceived authority. Whenever we give in uh, to the temptations that are around us, we are giving authority to Satan. I want to notice Jesus' response to this. He again quotes from the book of Deuteronomy. He, this time he quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 13. He says, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. That word worship is from the Hebrew word yer, uh, which means uh, to fear or revere. What Jesus is implying is that to display reverential fear to anyone God is wrong. And that reverential fear is only to be directed towards God. Jesus realized that you can never defeat wickedness by compromising with the world. How often do we try to appease someone of the world, appease our family who may not be Christians, by making some sort of compromise with them? Jesus realized that when you, you try to compromise with those of the world, here he was trying to compromise with Satan himself. And when you try to compromise with them, that we never are able to defeat sin. We are never able to defeat wickedness in our lives when we try to compromise. I want to notice Satan's response after these three um, efforts to tempt Jesus to sin, and he has failed all three times. In chapter 4 and in verse 11, it says that he left. It says, Then the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and ministered unto him. It says that he left. In Luke's account, in chapter 4 and verse 13, it says that the, that the devil left until an opportune time. Uh, so we know that there are other instances in which Jesus would have been tempted uh, by Satan. Uh, he lived on the uh, earth in the fleshly body for a number of years and would have been tempted just like we are. But he left, uh, when he was resisted, he left Jesus until an opportune time. So we see, we see those three temptations. He appealed to the lust of the flesh, he appealed to the pride of life, he appealed to the lust of the eyes, and yet he failed in trying to get I want us to spend the remainder of our time talking about some lessons that we might learn from the temptation of Jesus. First of all, I learned that temptation will start immediately after baptism. There's not a waiting period of what you're baptized and when you become a Christian. There's not a waiting period for you to grow and become stronger and stronger and stronger. And then you can face temptation. It immediately starts after we are baptized. Jesus was baptized there in Matthew uh, chapter uh, chapter 3, and immediately the Spirit drove him out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So I learned that when we become a Christian, we best be ready for uh, temptations to come. I learned secondly that Satan will attack our weakest points, and Satan knows our weakest points. He fits the temptation to fit the present situation in our lives. He fit the, the temptation to fit the situation in Jesus' life. He was hungry. He had fasted for 40 days, and he tempted him with bread. Jesus will, or Satan will attack our weakest points. I learned thirdly that temptations may come as pleasant suggestions. It may have, uh, it, it could very well be an, an innocent suggestion to someone who is hungry to say, hey, turn these, turn these stones into bread. That's a pleasant suggestion, and, and within itself, it doesn't seem like it is wrong, which goes to the next point that, that we uh, learn, is that there are times when things seem when things that are right within themselves may be wrong. And they may come as pleasant suggestions. It may come in the guise of, of someone's trying to help you. Well, Satan was really trying to help Jesus. He's trying to give him physical food because he was hungry. And temptations may come with that guise as of a very pleasant suggestion. I also learned that those of the world 
will twist Scripture to make something wrong look right. That's exactly what Satan did when he quoted from Psalm chapter 91 saying that you can cast yourself from the pinnacle of the temple and you will, you will not be harmed. Uh, God will save you. The angels will save you. And he was twisting Scripture. And oftentimes those of the world will twist Scripture to make something, to try to justify something that they're doing or try to condemn something that you're doing. They will twist Scripture and we must be aware of that. I also learn that Satan will leave if resisted. In James chapter 4 and verse 7 says, the devil will flee from you. When he resisted three times by Jesus, it says that Satan left. Satan fled from him uh, until an opportune time. So yes, we can resist temptation and Satan may leave, but he is going to come back and, and try again. Satan never gives up, and that's why we must never give up as well. I also learned that we can resist by having a reverence for God's will and an acquaintance with God's word. Notice all three times in Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus was tempted, he answered by quoting Scripture, and he answered each time saying, it is written. And each time he quoted from the book of Deuteronomy. So when we have a reverence for God's will, and when we have an acquaintance with his word, we can resist the devil. I also learned that there is a danger in false confidence. Uh, that is, that there is a danger in assuming that God is going to take care of everything. Uh, that I can just pray to God, and I can just sit back and let God handle it. That I don't have to do anything. That's false confidence. There's a danger in false confidence. We may pray for health in our lives, uh, and we may pray to God to, to give us health or to increase our health, and yet we, we turn around and we neglect our health. We may pray for knowledge and ask God to give us knowledge, and yet we neglect time to uh, read and to study our Bibles. We may pray for salvation, yet we do not live the righteous life that we read about in the Scriptures. That's a false confidence sitting back and just thinking that God is going to have everything. And finally, I learned that there is a, a danger in putting ourselves in harm's way and presuming that God is going to protect us. Remember, Satan wanted Jesus to throw himself from the pinnacle of the temple, and he quoted scripture and said, look, God will protect you. God will save you. There is danger in us putting ourselves in harm's way and presuming that God will protect us. Maybe we think we are strong enough. That spiritually, I'm a strong Christian, uh, and I'll be able to handle whatever temptation. And I can put myself in that situation. Uh, we are putting ourselves in harm's way. We may think, well, I can go to the dance, I can go to the prom, and I won't be affected. I won't be aroused because I'm a strong Christian. We may think that I can go to this party that, that's serving alcohol, and I will not be affected. I won't be tempted to drink. I'm a strong Christian. We may be asked to, to go to a movie. Uh, that perhaps is full of filth and nudity and language, and we think, I, I won't be affected. I'm a strong Christian. It's not going to affect me to see that stuff. It's not going to affect me to, to hear that stuff. Or we may hang out with the, uh, people of the world who have a worldly influence on us and think that that's not going to affect me. I'm a strong Christian. We think we are strong enough, and we are kidding ourselves when we think we can put ourselves in those type of dangerous situations and think that God is going to be there to, to protect us, just like it makes just as much sense as throwing yourself from the pinnacle of the temple. Many people have lost their souls by putting themselves in harm's way and assuming that God is going to take care of them, assuming that God is going to protect them. Someone once said that no, no one is safe in self-sought danger. We try to, put try to blend in with the world and compromise with the world, and we're putting ourselves spiritually in harm's way 
and we assume that because of the very fact that we are Christian that God will protect us, and that's just not the case. So we learn many great lessons from the temptations of Jesus. We see the setting in which it was set and how Jesus was tempted in all avenues, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, and the lust of the eyes, the very same ways that we are tempted. And so when we struggle with sin in our lives, when we struggle with temptation, uh, there's no better person to turn to than the one who is experienced in it. Jesus was experienced in temptation. And look to the ways of how he was able to resist the devil these three times and resisted the devil at every opportunity that he came to tempt him to sin. There may be those here this evening, perhaps uh, you have not been baptized and might not put Christ on in baptism, or perhaps maybe you have sin in your lives uh, that you need to make correction of. If we can help you or aid you and assist you in any way, I ask that you come now as we stand and sing.